The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here with my co-host, John Cuna. Today, we'll be discussing Kyrie Irving and communication. So just to explain a little bit about why we chose this, I mean, we look for interesting topics across mental fitness, mental health, mental illness. We try to have a balance. And ultimately, we look for, you know, which topic is associated with a player correctly or incorrectly right and so sometimes we'll make the episode about discussing how that relates to the player or how they've spoken up about it sometimes we'll make part of the episode disputing why that issue is aligned with them or that kind of thing the serena and anger episode is about that Mm -hmm. for Kyrie, i think you know communication is a topic because this is someone who is clearly uh you know I guess you could say one of the best basketball players of all time. He's, he's, he's like a wizard with the basketball and he's fun to watch. I mean, we're going to get into the Celtics fan view of this in in a bit. Um, But as a fan of, of sports, as a fan of basketball, he is just one of the most fascinating players to watch play. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's really just an elevated form of entertainment to watch him with a basketball. And, you know, he's a complicated guy. And I think, his communication is really what's taken center stage in terms of like how he's talked about and the issues that surround him and the drama that surrounds him. And it takes, I think it kind of takes away from all the, the other good things he does as a basketball player and not as a basketball player. He has a lot of good things um, that have nothing to do with basketball, but his, his poor communication skills cause him issues that are entirely avoidable. And I think that is a very common thing for, for athletes and non-athletes. Communication is hard. It takes a lot of work Mm. And it's easy to screw up. And I think um, we see that with with non-pro athletes. We we work with people. And I I don't know if I've worked with a client yet that hasn't struggled with communication because I think it's a very human thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult. So that's why we chose this topic. A quick bio. Kyrie Irving is an NBA player. He's a point guard. He's currently on the Nets. He was originally drafted by the uh, the Cavs. He was the first pick in the entire draft in 2011 out of Duke. He went to Duke for a year. He So he played with the Cavs. He won a ring in 2016. That was the team with LeBron James, Kevin Love. Uh, he then got traded to the Celtics, played for the Celtics for a few years, and then signed with the Nets. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, a little bit. Um, a couple of random facts. We're going to get back into the random facts here for this episode. His mother, who was uh, you know, Sioux from the Sioux Native American tribe, uh, died of an illness when he was four. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing that was very impactful for him on many levels, but who knows. Uh, his dad raised him along with the help of his aunts, uh, so Kyrie Irving's aunts. His dad also played basketball for BU, uh, so he, he was he played basketball in Boston in college. Kyrie Irving is an enrolled member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and was given his Lakota name, uh, Hala, I believe it's pronounced, which stands for Little Mountain, in 2019 to honor both his heritage and to recognize the donations he made to the tribe during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. So it's safe to say, you know, Kyrie Irving is a unique dude, right? Yeah. Um, he's definitely got, he's multifaceted. He's got, a, he's just a, a unique person. You know, he has his own, um, you know, 
unique personality approach to life everything and i think sometimes that unfairly draws attention to him um but we'll get into that a little bit so for one of the we're going to get into the good things he's done because he's done a lot but he he donated a lot of money uh, i think it was three hundred twenty three thousand dollars to feeding individuals through the uh feeding america organization so mm-hmm. we're just gonna we put a link to that charity in the show notes as well it's called feeding america in case anyone wants to donate to that um so i'm gonna kick it to you john in a second uh, just to give people a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a quick timeline. We'll get into the, the specifics a little bit more, but his this, the general story beti- uh, behind Kyrie Irving is that more recently he took some, I mean, he, there's been some drama in the media ever since he's been in the NBA, but more recently he took some time off for personal reasons, but didn't really tell the team. This was like on the heels of the Capitol riots in, in DC happening. So not, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I heard some rumors that that was part of it, but who knows? We don't want to speculate. He took some time off around right after that for his own personal reasons, but didn't tell the team. So I think he may have texted a, a couple players saying he was leaving, but it doesn't sound like he gave them much explanation, right. and he didn't really tell the team anything, just, just totally left and said nothing. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start with Kyrie? I mean, I'll kick it to you, John. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm look really looking forward to diving into this one. I, I think it would be it's uh first I wanna start off with me as like a Celtics fan yeah. and then as like a clinician. And I and I will say when it came to when it comes to Kyrie, I was really excited about him coming and joining the the Celtics. Mm-hmm. I thought he was gonna be like a really great piece yeah. for like helping them elevate the the team. And and to to a certain he did, right? He he did. I knew a little bit about the the rifts that was going on between him and LeBron and you know so, but it was like, okay, whatever, it's going to be fine. Like he'll come in and, and, you know, elevate his players and things like that. And then pretty quickly. And LeBron had left that team right before. Beforehand. Think, right. Yeah. Yep, just exactly. before. Yep. Right. Um, and but, so. But Kyrie wanted kind of his own. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was kind of the, in my mind, that was kind of like Kyrie wanted like his own chance to have a yeah. team, like to be he the guy. He wanted to be the alpha. Right. The he wanted to be yeah. the guy. Um, and not in Cleveland, apparently. And not in Cleveland, yeah. right? Um, so coming to, I think he maybe he saw better opportunities again. Speculating, no idea. I don't. He, know, he did threaten idea. to have surgery if he wasn't traded. So he threatened to have like season-ending knee surgery and uh, to force a trade from the Cavs. That's how the Celtics got him. So he comes to Celtics. Got it. And um, you know, obviously, I think the the media does what it's done, <laughs> what it does best in situations like this and focusing in on all the drama. Um, and I, as a fan, I got totally sucked into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was, um, I was guilt just as guilty as like, I'll come on and being disappointed in, ha- in how he was behaving. And he's like this cancer on the team. And, you know, all the young guys were not playing as well. And, the, you know, I fed into all the crap that the media was putting out there and forgetting what we preach on this show all the time that Kyrie is an actual person Mm -hmm. right like he's a a human being um and I think that that I think that a lot of what he has now come out and talked about more recently than than in the past as he you know how that impacted him um people only talking about him as this terrible influence or you know, a lot of the interviews that we we watched, sort of doing our research beforehand, you can you can tell the way he's communicating to to the people. It's pretty defensive. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like flippant, and yeah. I don't give a crap, and all this different stuff. Passive aggressive, passive yep. aggressive, and all and all that. I think as a as a fan, that affected me because it was like you just clearly don't care, yeah. right? That was that was the assumption that I made, and I think that the media grabbed that type of an idea too, and just pushed that message, and then completely negated the fact that he does enormous amount of mm-hmm. work for feeding America mm-hmm. 
he's he's he donates a bunch of his time and we're, we're going to talk about sort of his evolution as a player in, in a minute but i think it was important for me to 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 mention that and and for any of my friends who might be listening talking to me about sports can get heated i'm a more a uh, passion fan mm-hmm. than like a focusing on the statistics of the game. And so for, for for a player like Kyrie, I was infuriating as a fan of like knowing how talented he was and the team not doing what we were hoping he would be able to do or mm-hmm. elevate elevate the team. And it was just, it was too much of a distraction mm-hmm. with all the stuff that was going on for him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, as a fan, you make a good point because it's, you know, we're fans of sports and yep. I think they're, you know, I think it's okay. Fan is short for fanatic, right? So it's okay to get into the whole fandom swing of things and kind of let loose mm-hmm. and, you know, critique the team and critique the coach and that kind of stuff. I think there's a line, right? There's a line yeah. as a fan where you shouldn't cross it. I mean, to me, when I'm on Twitter, for instance, like I, I, I engage in a lot of Celtics stuff and I'll give my opinions. Is it logical? Probably not. I'm a fan. <laughs> like that's like, right. I'm, I'm, I try yeah. to like, you know, one of the things I try to do and it's hard to do when I'm working as a therapist, like I'm a therapist, right? Yeah, When exactly. I'm not working as a therapist, if I'm with friends or family or if I'm watching sports, I try to just be myself. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to – it's important not to try to be a clinician in every aspect of life. You have to do that. Oh, you have to yeah. because that's just like it, – it, A, it makes for a very boring, uh, overanalyzed life. But but B, you know, for self-care, like we've talked about, it's good to just like let yourself be a fan at times. I think it's a, it's a way – to me, this speaks to one of the important things about sports, which is like it gives you an outlet, right? Mm-hmm. I know for me, sports is definitely that. It's a way I get emotion out, and it, and it allows me to just kind of be myself and let loose. Try to find that line, right? I'm not going to like swear at people online or like you know right. criticize them as a person. Yeah. Even when I criticize players, you know, if I did that or a coach, it's it's being a fan and criticizing them in their role. It's not them as a person, right? right? I don't know Kyrie as a person. He seems like a great guy. I mean, yeah. well, most of his teammates say he's like one of the best teammates they've ever had. Right. I don't know him as a person, but that doesn't uh, change the fact that if he screws over the Celtics, that I'm probably going to be like, dude, what do you, you know? Be like, pretty pissed about yeah, it. Yeah, be a little pissed about <laughs> it, right, as a fan. So yeah. I think you can do both and you can toe that line. Yeah. But you bring up a good point about being a Celtics fan because I think – as a Celtics fan, from my perspective, I saw a couple different things. I definitely saw, uh, you know, how the media can be, you know, sort of swayed and unfair towards him in some ways. But I also saw that he creates a lot of his own problems with mm-hmm. how he speaks through the media or doesn't speak. Again, we're going to get into different forms of communication, but I think yeah. the way he approaches communication causes a large majority of his own issues. And he could, it, it's avoidable, right? If he just switched the way he did things, I think it would large, largely be avoided. Um, so that's what stuck out to me is that I got a glimpse into different elements of Kyrie when he was in Boston. And it seemed like he, he kind of creates problems for himself the way he, he does things through the media. And we'll kind of get into that as we go. But one of the things that stood out to me about that is like, he, you know, as a player, he's known for being always in control right he's balanced no matter what i mean he's like flying around he uses both hands he's uh you know switching speeds switching directions at all times but has the basketball on a rope like that mm-hmm. thing is just like tied to just him. has the best yeah. handles of anyone i've ever seen play basketball um you know i'm sure there's a few other people that you might put in the same category but to me he's like the best dribbler i've ever seen so ultimate balance on the court off the court I think part of what leads to some of the, the drama that surrounds him is a complete lack of balance. You know, he doesn't really he doesn't really speak up about a lot of the good things he does. And I, I give him credit for that, right? Maybe he's just humble. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a great ca- uh, characteristic of someone to be humble and not just like overly speak out about things. Sometimes it seems like things the good things he does does are leaked through his friends on the media. So maybe <laughs> he's got another angle to that. But I'm going to give him credit. It seems like he he's very humble about the good things he does. And he doesn't 
So he doesn't really speak up that much about the great things he does. And then the stuff he does speak up about, it's kind of like toxic forms of communication, which we'll get to. And that bal- that's off balance. I think it hurts him because, it, you know, it, it, the stuff he does, he doesn't, maybe he's not vocal enough about it. And then the media probably doesn't cover it as much as they do the negative stuff. So I want to touch on like, you know, why it's important to focus on some of the good things because he, he donated $323,000 to feed individuals through Feeding America. He donated $1.5 million to WNBA players who opted out of the 2020 season during mm-hmm. the pandemic. He paid off college tuition for nearly a dozen yeah. students uh, from historically black colleges and universities. And he purchased a house for the family of George Floyd. So, like, I, there's other things, too. I think oh, there's, like, two yeah. two to four other things. I'm yeah. sure there's other things that we don't even know about. Right. But clearly this guy is, like, you know, he's putting his money where his mouth is, literally, and he's trying to help people. Mm-hmm. It seemed like – it's hard to you know, speculate. It seemed like the stuff that's been happening over the last year has, has really uh, – he's taken that to heart. It's been impactful for him, whether it's stuff related to racism and African-American culture – uh, and speaking up about that or some of the other political things that happened with the the riots in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I think he's been someone who's who's spoken up about social change and the importance of that. Um, and so he's done a lot of good things. And look, he's a human and clearly this stuff affects him. While saying that, he also has a pattern of some negative forms of communication. I mean, like we talked about, he's, he, uh, he tends to be negative through the media, passive, not as much recently, but like in the past, passive aggressive, blaming others. You know, he's definitely kind of, thrown some teammates under the bus in which you never want to do like Mm -hmm. that is just not the way to go um he's been kind of abrasive at times right he refused to take his hat off during a 2019 nets photo shoot just refused to do it uh he refused to speak with the media in december of 2020 yeah Uh, that was pretty uh that was kind of blown up you know into a big story he even blames the media themselves uh he was quoted as saying i do not talk to pawns my attention is worth more you know Dealing with media is, is an unnatural act, and yet it's part of the job. And mm-hmm. I think these are people that have livelihoods, and they're trying to do their best. The media and the fans and the players and the coaches and the organizations are all part of what make a sport go. Yeah. You really can't have the the salaries you have and the success you have without the fans and without the media. Like, you need those things. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the media as much as the fans, but you still need all that kind of stuff. And to talk down to them like that, I think, is really, like, kind of unfair. So anyway, you know, he, he's been abrasive through the media and to the media at times he's been silent and just leaves people in the dark. I think we'll talk about that when it comes to communication regarding his coach, Steve Nash, he said, we don't need a coach. So before this coach even comes in, he just tries to claim that they don't even need a coach. Not a great way to start off a relationship, right. um, you know, in general, um, you know, so the contrast kind of works against him, you know, almost feels like at times he does this intentionally, like, he says nothing to stick it to the media, but, uh, you know, unintentionally impacts the team in the process by doing that. There's other things like, you know, do you, do you see when he spreads sage uh, around the court? Around the court like, in Boston. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it seems like he does things to get attention. I don't know that, right? He, it might just be him being him and saying, yeah. I'm not going to be phased by what the media sees or doesn't see. I'm just going to be me. It right. could be that. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know. Absolutely. Um, so what do you think about like his, you know, you want to talk about his evolution. Yeah. And you made a good point too about sort of like, the players, the media, the league, like, and, and, and all that. And he actually, um, there was one interview, I can't remember exactly when it was, I think it was 20, maybe more recently talking about how the, yes, I think that speaking to the media is definitely more of like an unnatural piece. It is a part of the job. Unfortunately, like you get, you literally get fined if you don't speak to the media, yeah. um, which he did, um, in December. Um, 
but he makes a good point, and I and I agree with him that I do think that while all those three things or all those all those facets have to exist, I do think that there could be improvement in it. And he talks a lot about there needing to be, um, you know, a change in media engagement and player interaction. And and I agree with him. I think that, uh, un- unfortunately, I think the negative headlines probably sell better, and I think yeah. that they um they get more clicks on them. Of like, if you're like Kyrie says the most ridiculous thing ever, especially with media these days, where right. it's like it is very clickbait a title grab the yep. viewer as quick because you have three seconds to grab them right exactly yeah. and you know and, and you don't have to be that accurate you can just be the first person to put that information out there and so I, I you know i think that there's definitely some work that can be done now it doesn't give a pass on media and it doesn't give a pass on the players but mm-hmm. it does feel like there needs to be like some work there um and I, I, so i thought you made a good point about that i just wanted to follow up and just sort of point that out yeah no that's interesting because uh, you know media has changed a lot i think and maybe it's gone kind of too far i think in the uh back in the day which i don't know when, when was that 60s 70s mm-hmm. 80s media uh specifically through basketball but sports in general they really had a lot of control around the player's status in a city you know m- media members were like the kind of the gateway and the player really needed to play right by them mm-hmm. in order to keep themselves in a good place in terms of right. how the van- fans viewed them that has changed a lot in the last 10 years, especially with social media and the player empowerment era and players as brands and things like that. They don't need, they don't need the media no. to kind of shape their image anymore. They do mm-hmm. it themselves. Right. And so I, I get how a lot of players can be looking at media and be like, I don't need you. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause they kind of, cause they kind of don't as much anymore. Right. And yet, you know, media can play and does still play an important role in sort of, you know, disseminating the product to the people and and, and commenting on important aspects, whether it's strategy or statistics and data and, and analytics and things mm-hmm. like that, or just the, the, the player's kind of uh, personal profile and things like that. They still play a role, right? So I think it's, um, I agree with you, like trying to find, before it was like the media held too much power. Now it's almost like the players maybe hold a little bit too much. We just have to find um, a way to balance it out a little bit more, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, I I think I agree too. I I also think that the media has too much control of the narrative in certain extents of like of someone, like particularly like Kyrie Irving, right? Like he's this loose cannon. And and sure, there's some truth to that, and we're going to dive into that. I'm going to start talking about sort of the evolution of of his communication and sort of him as a a player through the league. Um, But I... I think that if the media holds too much of that power of like controlling the narrative, you don't get the glimpses of the positive things that Kyrie is doing, like all of this charitable work. Mm -hmm. He's a big advocate for social justice and advocacy. And he talked a lot about that, especially more recently um, after his, um, you know, his absence from it or his time. He like took, I think he called it, like took a pause. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's been pretty outspoken about some of those different things. And I don't, you know, so there's definitely there's work to be done. Maybe that's maybe that's a whole other episode that we could kind of we could talk about um, how to in, not just with basketball but just in general. How do we you know what do we think about media engagement and player interaction? What's a better what's a better avenue for putting both those things together? Yeah, no, um, it's definitely interesting. But I would say that in terms of like the evolution, when I was sort of like going back in and it, it was interesting following him and like I did a lot of um, like listening to interviews and him in front of media and sort of his evolution through. And in the beginning. It was pretty, and I think one thing too that I wanted to say is that you know when when, when players come into this league, they're they're, you know, and this is not a patronizing, but they're young, right? Like mm-hmm. late late teens, early twenties. It's really like, unbelievable how young. how polished they are these days. Yeah. yeah, and and I think, but I think the expectation is that they're they're able to be like these adults. You have the like these adults media people who are analyzing mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. 
and holding that expectation that they're just supposed to know like how to be and what to do without much training in yeah, terms of yeah. how to do that type of stuff. And so I think that's the first thing that's important is that when that's we're, a great point. When, yeah. we're, when we're looking at these athletes, a lot of them are kids. Oh, and, can you imagine like being a, no. a camera in front of you when you're 19? No. Oh, man, it would have been catastrophic if that happened. Catastrophic. Right? And, yeah. and, and it, honestly, it, it really it, it forced me to reflect back when I was like 20 years old how was I thinking and what would I do with a million cameras in front of me asking me these like deeply personal and aggressive comments about myself as a person, how would I respond? I'd probably respond pretty similar to how he did. Very, very defensive, very sort of just like F you mentality, Mm -hmm. like whatever, you know? And I think that that came across a lot when I was watching a lot of the interviews for him um, was that I, I saw a lot of that defensiveness of just sort of like, Almost like this game of like I'm gonna say something and like almost goad the media into like following up on it. Like you know, there's the flat Earth thing where he like was yeah. talking about it that, and I think that that like no, it's like he tries to play tricks. Almost. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, and I think to get he, back. right. It's it, but it's like, but it's that's like a little bit of that adolescence. Like I'm gonna get revenge on mm-hmm, you piece, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that was what I really noticed in the beginning, the beginning pieces, and then. You know, throughout, there was, like, this less of that and more. He definitely went to sort of, like, I'm just going to be – I'm going to focus on just me. I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to be more outspoken. And then I think he kind of went from, like, one end to the other, which we often do. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to be highly defensive and just, like, not give you anything. And then I'm going to – fine. You want me to be open? Boom. Here it is. And I'm going to give you everything. And I'm going to think give you my, my like, stream of conscious and my communication. Mm -hmm. And that – got him into trouble yeah, yeah. Um, with your examples of like throwing people under the bus or coaches. And, you know, there's, there's a balance with all of these things. And it made me think of, um, there's this guy's name is Dr. Barry Johnson, who talks about polarity management mm-hmm. um, and sort of like how to work with two opposing things and finding the, the middle. And us as people, we will utilize one technique until it doesn't work anymore. And then we'll go to the exact opposite. Then it won't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And we get ourselves sort of stuck in this infinity loop, he calls it. And I think with his communication, I think we saw that highly defensive, right? And then that didn't work anymore. So he was like, F it. Now I'm going to just give you what you guys want. That didn't work. And then it kind of, he was sort of stuck in this place. And then he took a pause and came back. And now I hear him. He's, he's much more articulate. He's he's communicating when he wants. I haven't heard any like big blunders of conversation, yeah, at least yeah. recently. And I think that, and also too, he's he's older, right? He's what, 27? 26, 28, 20, 28. Yeah. Um, and just still young, still young, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in terms of like development, like brain development for, for guys, especially our brains really don't start, don't fully function or fully develop until like mid twenties. Yeah. So you look at somebody who was, you know, early twenties when they came into the league until now late twenties, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of like a lot of positive things that are moving him in that direction of like having a little bit more self-control, a little bit more understanding of like how these words might impact and, He's been more articulate, and that's been a that's been a positive thing. So I think mm-hmm. we can learn from his yeah, example, yeah. and I think that's hopefully what we'll talk a little bit more about today. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think you know one of the main things that that came from this most recent thing is I I, I do think when he came back, it seemed like he was a little bit uh, in a better place. Yeah, and his communication was better. He even references, yeah, I have to communicate better with my teammates or that kind of thing. Yeah. So it seemed like the time away kind of didn't did him some good. And that brings me to a question I have for you, John, when it comes to like, um, you know, I think something that's picking up steam is this concept of being able to take mental, a mental health day or take mental health days when needed. So I want to get your thoughts on like what you think about that in general. 
I think we probably all benefit. I think me personally, and even growing up, I, we were allowed one mental health day per, I think it was per quarter, where we could just like, as kids, if we were just like, wake up and be like, nope, not don't have it today, we could sort of like advocate. Mm-hmm. And I think just like everything else, there's a balance. Yeah. I think if you really, really need to give yourself a day because things are really starting to build and you need a moment to step back and take a pause and you're able to like actually articulate that you need help and need to take a step back. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you start to abuse it, then I think it becomes a crutch. And I think it becomes yeah. a, now you're not addressing what you need to, you're just sort of like avoiding it. And so I think there's a definite balance. And I think what he, he said, he, he even said like, what, what's helped me is I asked for help. Oh, go figure. You mm-hmm. asked for help, you got it. And now you're feeling, at least you're communicating to us that you're feeling better. So I think there's value to being able to have a mental health day mm-hmm. or, you know, length of time, I guess we could get, we could get into the weeds on that. But I think if you, if you're able to articulate, I need this, it will help me. That's great. If it becomes an ongoing pattern of needing more and more and more and more, then mm-hmm. I think it becomes something to be, you need to observe, right? Like, are you avoiding something? Yeah. Like what's not what's really it? going what's, on? What's really yeah, going on? Yeah. Cause everybody has bad days. Everybody has days that just like don't have it. And I think there's value to being able to sort of take a step back and say like, I need to just give myself a day. And I also think there's value of like, this is going to be a tough day. I'm going to battle through. And I, and so it's, it's one of those slippery conversations and slippery places of like, where do I, where do I fall? And I think if you always fall into taking time off, that might be problematic. And if you always fall into, I'm going to tough it out, that could be problematic too. I think finding the right balance for you is, is important. And then just not holding judgment for whichever decision you choose to make. Yeah. I think it relates to what you said before about sort of that, the, the polarity management, right? Being in the middle instead of one or the other. Yep. Right? I do think it's important with a lot of things to maintain balance in life. And I think mental health days are no different, right? If you need a mental health day, that's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking up about it is a good thing. Taking it is a good thing. But there's still accountability, or I should say and. There's still accountability on that. And you still have to communicate that. And I think that's where like a lot of people um, were were sort of – there was some backlash of people – in you know in favor of Kyrie saying like how dare you you people whether it's media or fans or whatever criticize him for taking mental health day well a lot of what I saw was not you know I don't I didn't consume the entire internet so I don't know but a lot of what I saw was not people criticizing him taking a mental health day or mental health days it was criticizing the fact that he didn't tell anybody yeah you this is where like we find that balance between like yes mental health is important mental fitness is important being proactive for your own health is important advocating for yourself taking the time you need very important but you are still responsible for the people in your life. You are still responsible for communicating to your coaches or your teammates. Those are still people that you have relationships relationships with and commitments with. Mm-hmm. And if you just like take them out to health day is fine, but if you just ab- abandon them, don't give them any insight as to what you're doing, where you're going, how long, why, anything, then now you don't necessarily have to explain why you're taking a mental health day. In no. my opinion, I don't think you should have to. No, absolutely not. But you at least have to tell the people that you're accountable to where you're going or what's going on, like mm-hmm. just so they have a timeline, like mm-hmm. it's something, right? I think that's where it's like we want to find that line. We're taking mental health day, great. But still, you're still responsible for your communication about that yep. um, to a degree. And it depends on the person, the job, and that kind of thing. But I definitely think it's important to get into this topic because it is a slippery slope. And I can see it. You know, we, we just talked about the different polls. Up until now, maybe it wasn't accepted enough to take a mental health day. I can see that going way in the other direction yeah, where it's like yep. we're just people are taking mental health days left and right, mm-hmm. um, which I – if you need mental health days, it's important to take what you need. But there is a very fine line between taking what you need to be proactive and invest in yourself to get better versus avoidance. Mm-hmm. Very fine line. And we've seen this with clients oh, yeah, where it's time. like 
it can slip into a chronic avoidance and just shutting out the world really easily. And I think it's yeah. important just for people to know that there's two sides to that and mm-hmm. try to find the balance in the middle. I also think it brings up an interesting point about like mental health days are very different than physical health days. I was actually talking to my wife about this because I, you know, I wanted to get her opinion on, on the concept of a mental health day and what, and what she thinks about it. And you know, what she, what she said was like, it's, it's, it needs to be treated a little bit differently because on a physical health day, like if people are physically ill, they're probably gonna be resting. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you need a mental health day, you might actually, I mean, who knows? It depends on the person, what they need. They might rest. They might need to the opposite of rest, right? They might need to get the hell out of their house. Yeah. Especially during a pandemic. Right. Do something active, get outside, go run screening, errands. Right? Yeah. Do th- they, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right. So what it looks like, and I think that's why it's important maybe for employers to like be in the loop that they're taking mental health day, but not, I don't think it's really their business about how the person spends that day, in my opinion, right? Or why they need or it. Or why they need it necessarily, because like, you know, they might need to go do something really active to like help their mental health. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, thought, I think it brings up that point that it's very different. And this is even for parents, right? I can see parents like, if you need a mental health day from school, you got to stay inside. Like if you're sick, you got to stay inside. I just think mental health is different than that. Like yeah, if, if they're physically ill, yes, they should be resting. If they need a mental health day, then they might need to go out and about. That's right? a great, it's a great point. Cause it's not, it's not the same, but I do agree. I think it's often treated the same, right? Like yes. if, especially with parents being like, okay, I'm allowed mental health, but you got to stay in bed. Right. Yeah. I do this. It's, it's like, like well, well, no, I actually need to get outside and move. I need to do this. I need to do that. Absolutely. Right. You're not, right. It's yeah. yeah. And parents need to know that so that they're, you know, supporting what the person does need to get better. And I also think this kind of relates to Kyrie because, like, um, you know, he takes this time off, uh, you know, for personal reasons, right? We, we, we could say it's for mental health, uh, mental health days or whatever. We don't know. He never actually said that. Yep. Um, but let's say that's what it's for. He does his sister's birthday party, which is, on, you know, online. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a Zoom meeting with the, with the district attorney or some kind of Zoom meeting during a game. And, again, I, again, I think when you're a professional athlete, maybe it's a bad, the optics are not great, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in the middle of a Zoom meeting with a district attorney while your team is playing. But at the same time, it's like, if we're talking about mental health days being different, he, that maybe that's what he needed to do. Yep. Like that he needed to be active in the community by getting on that Zoom meeting or he Absolutely. needed to be with his sister for her birthday and just dance a little bit and like have a good time because that's what he needed. I think that's an example of where it's different. And uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, shocker, shocker, were extremely critical of of him doing those things during this time off. And I think it's a great example of how people misunderstand the difference between physical mental health day, physical health days, versus mental health days. Like if you had a torn ACL and you're out dancing on a, all right, I get it. But if you need a mental health break, maybe dance dancing could be great for like your mental health, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I agree. And and again, it comes back to like, you, you're always going to get people who are going to be judging you for how you, how best you need to use your time. Right, right. That makes, that makes no sense to me. I agree. I agree. So that's that's an example where I think it's a, it's good to to tease out, you know, the topic of mental health days and why they're important, but it's a slippery, slippery slope and why they're different than kind of physical health days mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so some other takeaways I had, you know, I think his relationship with teammates is interesting because like it it's it's not as negative as I expected. I mean, I, I know he has thrown teammates under the bus a little bit in in post game interviews, but you know what? People are also very emotional after a game. Mm-hmm. I, I, if I was an athlete and they stuck a microphone in my face right after a game, I'd probably say some things I regret because you're <laughs> you're a competitor and you want to win yeah. and you're frustrated and like so I take that with a grain of salt mm-hmm. because there's a lot of reports that have come out about how much teammates love him and how he's like the best teammate ever and that kind of stuff. 
there's a couple people specifically from Boston who have commented about how like the team just like the organization centered around just Kyrie's emotions and mm-hmm. that's all they put front and center which can kind of have a negative effect on teammates who see yeah. that mm-hmm. um but overall it seemed like teammates like him a lot i agree yeah, yeah. I, I i was i like you i was kind of surprised to hear cuz again if you just paid attention to what the media was saying you would think he was this terrible person yeah. and influence on the team but then you heard from the actual teammates and they had relatively great things to say about him absolutely absolutely so one other takeaway i had was um you know, the difference between what we feel versus what we say and how we say it. And I think this is really key because this, in my opinion, is kind of where Kyrie has gone wrong a couple of times. He has, like, he's allowed to be frustrated by the media. He's not allowed to belittle or demean them. Or I guess he's allowed to, but he has to expect consequences to that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think, like, what you feel, and this is this relates to non non pro athletes too. You're allowed to feel how you feel, and I think it's important to like validate yourself and have other people validate how you feel. And yet, how you communicate that can make or break things. And I'll give an example. Like for married couples, this happens all the time, where if one spouse is feeling hurt by the other spouse or, you know, sad or, you know, betrayed or in pain or that kind of thing, they're allowed to feel that way. But if they communicate those feelings complete, completely like, uh, you know, a direct translation, how I feel and I'm going to say exactly how I feel, what often happens? You know, not not go well. No, it's not going to go well because the other person is <laughs> going to feel attacked. Defensive. They're not, yeah, they're yeah. defensive. They're not going to hear what you say. So I think we have to understand, like, we're allowed to feel how we feel. But when we communicate, we have to put that through a translation machine in terms that the other people around us understand. And, and instead of just a direct translation between how we feel to how we say it, because that's not often going to be met in the way we want it to. And it's going to kind of sabotage the whole process um, mm-hmm. for us and for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of times when I have conversations with, and we're going to talk about sort of like communication styles and some some resources and things like that. But I, I always find myself saying like, how is this information going to be best received? Yeah, right. And oftentimes, if you go at somebody, right, it's not going to be received well. No one enjoys hearing negative things about themselves or feeling attacked. Your defenses automatically go up. You stop listening, right? And and then that's the communication is essentially done. Yeah, right. And it's not to say don't be don't be honest with what you're feeling. That's not what we're saying. It's about how best can I communicate how I feel so the person is actually going to hear me so that this conversation can can you know lead to growth and, and evolution in yeah. a relationship, not a stonewalled piece of like, no, this is just going to deteriorate into a nothing conversation. Absolutely. So much more, like you said, like how can this information be best received yeah. versus just that direct translation. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I think it's a good segue into like the topic, you know, again, we've talked about our takeaways from Kyrie Irving and, and uh, you know, the stuff that he's been through and the stuff that's been talked about about him. The topic for today is commu- the mental health topic or, or concept is communication. Um, I, I think there's like the biggest difference between pro athletes and non-athletes is, uh, is probably the media. You know, I think like, you know, us in everyday life, we don't have to deal with the media. But social media is at a point now where, like, it can cause many versions of these kinds of things, right? Because mm-hmm. people try to communicate through social media or, or unintentionally communicate through social media. It can cause problems for them in their personal life. Um, so in general with communication, I want to kind of get into a couple cautionary things I have for people listening. And then I want to kick it to you for some of your takeaways on the topic of communication. So the, the first one is just to be to beware of dysfunctional patterns, right? I think this happens a lot and it relates to, I think, something we covered in one of the uh, last episode or two where we talked about how it's easy, it's hard to see problems forming when you're that close to it, right? The whole step back from the painting analogy. Yeah. Um, I think with mental health or, or uh, relationships, it's very hard to see problems forming as they form because you're so close to it. 
right? So I think it's 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 important to be aware of dysfunctional patterns that may be forming and try to keep an eye out for those. So often we are taught these through like modeled behavior, through mm-hmm. our parents or through our family members. And sometimes we don't even know it's dysfunctional because if we grew up around it, it's like that's the norm, right? Um, you talked about, John, I think in the last episode, like what is familiar, even if dysfunctional, often feels comfortable for people yep. because it's their everyday life. Um, and this happens sometimes when it comes to people who have been through difficult traumatic relationships they'll keep finding partners that treat them terribly same even though they know it and they and they don't want it it's still what what is uh normal for them Mm -hmm. even though it's not positive right so we see this a lot um dysfunctional patterns need to be like disrupted and replaced and you have to you have to be aware of it so self-awareness is important first you have to you know really spot out the dysfunctional pattern then replace it with something healthy i think it's harder at first but long term tends to be worth it right yeah the second one I have was what we feel is not what we sh- uh, is not what we should say. We talked about that last time, just in the, the end of the Kyrie thing. Emotion doesn't translate easily to language, and so people really have to be intentional. And I say, I think with this takeaway, it's about choosing when you're talking about things matters, right? And we'll get into that a little bit because like timing is really key. But like you, if you're feeling a certain way, especially if there's anger involved, I, I would caution people that's probably not the best time to talk about something. Yep. You have to take a step back de-escalate your emotions, collect your thoughts a little bit, put the emotion through the translation machine and say, all right, this is how I feel. I'm allowed to feel that way. How do I translate that into something people are going to hear and understand? Um, so what are some of your takeaways or some of your points that you want to make on communication, John? Yeah, I think that um, you know, a lot of times when I have conversations about communications, you brought up sort of like these patterns, and I call them like repetition compulsions, right? Like we're sort of like compelled to repeat patterns mm-hmm. in our lives even if they don't work well for us. Yeah. There is a sense of like a level of comfort from doing that. And when I'm having conversations with, with clients or with families and you know, the one that the, the circumstance that, you know, the, the end conversation is, is different, but the same process occurs where they start arguing about something at the end of the conversation, they aren't even talking about yeah. that anymore. They've <laughs> just dissolved into the most likely the root issue. Yeah. And it just constantly, it always comes back to that. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing that, that, that can be a helpful pattern to identify so that you can say, well, you know, I'm hearing actually like multiple arguments or multiple breakdowns of communication yeah. here. Let's focus on like, why did it start? How could it be best approached differently? Um, and one of the, the sort of like word plays that I, that I say to clients is like 80% of what you say has nothing to do with what you say. Mm-hmm. And because communication is not just verbal, it's intonation, it's body language. And those are actually far more important in communicating a message than the actual words. Yeah. How much, I mean, I've seen like 80% of communication is nonverbal and 90%. I mean, it depends right. on where you look. Yeah, but... exactly. All the, all the, yeah. That, that's more of just like a number that I, that I picked up, but it's, but it's, but more, it's majority, majority right? yeah, that, yeah. that nonverbal piece, yeah. which we'll, we'll touch on in a, more further, but that's a big piece of like, for me, when I talk about communication, I find myself like teaching people how to communicate pretty heavily. And I mm-hmm. think that it's, it's a gap for a lot of people. Like you said, a lot of it is modeled behavior of like where they learned how to communicate either from relationships or yep. parents or wherever. And I find myself just giving them skills. So, you know, through our training as clinicians, we learn about the concept of active listening. That's a big one that we learn about actually listening to somebody all the way through mm-hmm. is difficult to do. I mean, it's the, the art of listening is difficult, right? And I always kind of make the joke that I went to school, I went to grad school for three extra years to learn how to listen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy talk. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think people just like take it for granted of like, Oh yeah, I can just listen. And when you're listening to somebody, I teach active listening, especially for people who have that breakdown, because often what happens is 
you're listening to somebody talk and there's an argument or a discourse or something, you latch on to a single point that that person has made and you automatically start coming up with your rebuttal. Before they're finished. Before they're yeah. finished and you completely disregard the rest of that person's point. And oftentimes the person actually resolves your argument in the rest of that conversation, mm -hmm. but you just start preparing your rebuttal and you stop listening. And then you respond in that way. And then the person is now feeling like, well, you didn't validate what I had to say. You weren't listening to what I had to say. So I'm going to give you the same back. And then, and then the conversation tat, and, and then it just, yes, back yeah, and forth. Yeah. And it becomes this ping pong match yeah. and, it, and, it, and it never really happens. And so active listening is an exercise that I teach of. I want you to listen to every single word that I say. I'm going to talk. I'm going to give you a story for 60 seconds. I want you to listen all the way through with what I said. And then you're going to repeat back as best you can word for word. And I'm going to give you, you know, my, the stories vary of like what I say and what I do, depending on the person. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's interesting. A lot of details get missed, right? And, you know, the game of telephone is a perfect yeah, example yeah. of how communication can really break down quite yep. easily. And active listening is a way that you, you know, you force the person to listen all the way through. Then you repeat back what they said as an act of like validating what that person had to say. And then you respond and ask questions. And it sounds, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a simple thing, but it's certainly not easy to do. And I get, that's one of the things that I look to do with, with, with clients, especially when communication seems to be an issue of, you know, addressing that pretty head on of like, here's what I want you to do the next time you feel like you want to get yourself into a conversation. I want you to practice this skill. And that, that does seem to work pretty well with people who have this, like this pretty habitual, like breakdown in communication. Yeah, I mean, active listening is is extremely important. You make some great points with that. And I think it's it's hard for people to do. I, I think, you know, having a, a, a flowing conversation is really hard at times. I mean, you have your own things that you're nervous about. You have your own things that you want to talk about, but you also want to make sure you're listening. I think people often rush themselves too much. And mm -hmm. I think that's what causes it's. And I do it all the time too. It's hard not to do it. I think it's, there's no rush. There shouldn't be any rush to conversations. You have plenty of time to listen to the, the person, what they're saying, reflect back, pause, even if you have to. I think that's a skill that uh, the best public speakers have down, right? Um, you know, when it comes to not rushing themselves and just thinking for a second before they talk, especially when it comes to media, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have to spout out. I think we get nervous a lot of times. It's very common for people to get nervous and they spout out an answer before really thinking through what they wanted to say. And the same thing can happen in conversations with, you know, friends, family, loved ones, where we're, we have this point that we want to make and it's, it's in our head and we just latch onto that. Like you said, instead of finishing out and listening to what the person actually said, making sure we heard what they said, verifying that, and then being like, all right, now what do I think about that and what mm -hmm. do I want to say? There's plenty of time to do that, but I think most people just, just yeah. skip steps. It's and, a great point. Know, the, the, the rushing aspect is huge. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to do. It takes practice. I think this kind of ties into... One thing, I, you see this with couples more than anything just because of the nature of the, uh, the couple dynamic and the communication and the conversations that are had. But it's important for family members too and friends. I, th I think what I see is that people rush to have impulsive conversations. Anything, any topic that's worth discussing and that's meaningful and important cannot be rushed. Like it, it really has to be discussed outside of the realm of like impulsive emotion. Because like we said, if you ju if emotion just comes through, mm -hmm. I see this with couples a lot. Like I don't do couples work anymore, but I, I just uh, in the past when I have, you know, I see it a lot where like uh, one one or both people are holding in. Right, we talked about like the importance of opening up. They're holding in things that they're resentful about, mm -hmm. and they're holding it and they're holding it and they're holding it. 
and they're not talking about it when things are going well, right? Because they don't want to ruin a good thing. <laughs> like we, we have, we're having a good weekend. I want to yeah, ruin that. I don't want to bring it up. And so they wait, they hold it and they wait for the person to do the thing that they're resenting. And then they go, oh, you know, I'm glad this is like happening right now. Cause I'm meaning to tell you that I don't like when you do that. That's the worst time and the worst manner to bring that kind of stuff up. But it's what most people do. And I would encourage people like you have to do the opposite. You got to find the time when both people are doing well. And that's when they'll be most receptive. And that's when, more importantly, you will be in a place to actually translate your emotion into something that it can be received yep. so you can have a productive conversation. Even if, yes, of course, there's always slight risk that, that that's going to bring down the day if it doesn't go perfectly. Mm-hmm. But that's the best shot you got. If you don't t- talk about important things in a proactive way when you're both in a good place, in a place where you can hear and like, listen to the other person, there's no shot about having yep. that productive. It's just going to devolve into arguing and you kick the can down the road and then you wait till the next time the, the person pisses you off and you, you talk about it then or vice versa, yep. right? Yeah. I think it's important, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I always ask like, what are you bringing with you to the conversation, right? I always ask that because to your point, which is happens time and time again, is like, or there's, you know, they're, they're carrying with them the resentment from like 10 examples previously yes. yeah. and and. Yeah. At each individual point, it might be that that time of like it happens once, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, it's no big deal. Like, I don't want to talk about it because we're having a great weekend or whatever. I'm not going to ruin this. And then after the 10th time, it's like, well, now is the time that yeah. I'm going to make this point. And so I always ask the question, like, what are you bringing with you? And is, is it resentment or is it solution focused, right? And oftentimes the answer is like, yeah, I'm bringing like all this past stuff. And it's like, well, is that fair to the person you're communicating with to have had all of this stuff been building up and now it's like, and here you go. I'm going to dump this big massive mm-hmm. thing on your plate and expect you just to change. But that way of dumping on somebody, they're going to feel buried, right? And they're not going to, then they're just going to be trying to dig themselves out rather than like, let's try to problem solve this right here. And I think you make a really great point about, I think timing for conversations is important. And yeah. if you're in a not great place, if you're feeling resentful, if you're feeling angry, that's going to come across in the way that you're communicating, which is going to just increase the defenses of that other person and the communication is going to break down. Yeah. And communicating, I can't remember who said this, but like communication is like the most dangerous thing that people can do. And so to minimize the danger, find times that you guys are both at a place. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay. I say this to parents all the time, giving them permission. If you do not feel prepared to have a difficult conversation, it is okay to say, you know what, right now I'm feeling pretty upset about what just happened. I need a couple of minutes to just like come, like bring myself back down. Why don't we try this in like 10 minutes when I'm feeling a little bit better and see where we can go from there. I think A, it models great behavior for mm-hmm. the kid to be able to say like, we don't, if you're feeling terrible, don't have a conversation then. Yeah. And you're you going the tone to, for future conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're going to have a better conversation if you're at a, if you're at a better place. Yep. No, I totally agree. And I think this kind of relates to like stuff I've read about, um, you know, I want to say like the three or four things that most often lead to divorce. And I, I think it obviously relates to couples, but it relates to general conversations. I can't remember all of them, but I know a, a couple of key pieces. One is resentment, holding resentment and mm-hmm. not opening up and talking about it in a constructive way. Uh, swearing and name calling and labeling obviously is, oh, a, yeah, is a big, big no, no. And uh, one hidden one is stonewalling. I can't remember the fourth, but one of them is stonewalling. Stonewalling is where, you know, instead of like some people need more time to think about an, uh, a topic before they're willing to readdress it, especially like after an argument or after a bad day or that kind of thing. Some people want to, you guys tend to be like, let's just talk about it and get mm-hmm. through it. Women tend to be like, I need two, three days. It's pain with a broad brush, but people mm-hmm. have different preferences with regard to timing and how quickly. So it's fine for some people to take time, but sometimes what happens is like if, if someone in a relationship you know, is passive aggressive towards the other person and they refuse to talk about it, but they refuse that like they're nice to everyone else around them except for that person. 
that can cause some major issues. And that's called stonewalling. It's when you do that. It's a very toxic form of communication because you're not actually, you're just belittling and making the other person feel bad. Yeah. You're not actually addressing anything. And it's not about time. If you need time, you can take time. But I think that's where uh, couples, but also friends get into issues when it comes to stonewalling. That's a great point. So you talked a little bit about nonverbal communication and, and whether it's, uh, I think I had in my notes, 80% of communication is nonverbal because that's what I've seen the most. Yeah. So we don't know the exact number, no. but it's like, it's a majority is, is nonverbal. And that could be like, facial remarks, posture, right? We've talked about posture and the importance of like walking through a doorway with your, you know, using a doorway as a cue to have your shoulders back. Mm -hmm. And I think nonverbal communication is important for when we communicate with other people, but it's, you know, obviously, but it's also important for self-communication. I think, you know, our posture, our nonverbal stuff is going to communicate through ourselves and impact our mood. I think smiling is a version of this, like smiling and, and good posture, positive posture releases positive chemicals, positive yeah. hormones in the body. Yep. And so it's not just about communicating with other people. The internal communication is affected by negative nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk to ourselves all day. We've said this a lot. We talk to ourselves all day, whether we want to admit it or not, um, you know, through our internal critic, through our body, through our breathing, right? Mm-hmm. And so how we do these things is going to have an impact. And I think it's not just with other people, it's with ourselves as well. So we have nonverbal, which is obviously is hugely important. It's uh, a lot of times people don't recognize their nonverbal communication um, because they can't see themselves. Right. And so I would encourage everyone listening to like really try to pay attention to yourself. It's hard without looking in a mirror, but even in a mirror, you can do like I've done phone calls when I'm in front of a mirror and I try to, um, you know, make myself smile while I'm on a phone call because it actually comes through my tone mm-hmm. and it does help. So I would encourage people to try that out when they're on, on the phone and having a heated conversation or an important conversation, be in front of a mirror because you'll see what you look like. And that's what you look like when you're in front of people, when you're having regular everyday conversations and you don't see what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And it's really important. Um, And I know like I'm I'm guilty of violating all these things. I mean, I can be, I'm very intense when I have conversations that I'm like into and like passionate about. (laughs) And a lot of times, like I've had people in my life be like, do you seem so angry? And I'm like, I'm not even angry. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm, uh, passionate about this. Right. So I've had to work on that. Um, So we have nonverbal and we have verbal kind of forms of communication. You talked about timing. That's the biggest mistake I see is incorrect timing when it comes to having a conversation. Tone, so obviously volume levels and positive versus negativity, like often, you know, being positive in your tone of voice versus very negative, pessimistic. Um, mode of communication is very important, right? Texting is, is very like heavy these days, right? And when you text somebody, like you can't hear tone of voice and things get lost in translation unintentionally, yeah. right? Well, what happens is you translate the tone of the person based on yes. your own mentality, yes. right? And so that's a lot of times what breakdown happens yep. is like if you're in like an insecure spot, if you're speaking to like a significant other and you guys are maybe disagreeing or having whatever, even if you're not, and you're in an insecure place about what's going on, you're going to interpret that. K message or whatever yep, yep, message yep. is like the end of the world, right? And rather than the person just like, yep, I heard you, like we're all good, right? But on the other end of it, it's no, things are not okay. Mm-hmm. And this is like a, this is a definitely more of an evolving conversation. And maybe we could spend some time talking specifically about it because I've, I've heard more and more recently of people being like, yeah, I can understand your, your feelings through text messaging. And it's just something that I don't have any understanding of because how could you? But they, but they seem to have a, especially with younger kids that I have that they're like, Oh yeah, they text me this. I know that means this. There's like this whole new language now with, Mm -hmm. with texting, but you lose a lot 
with with the way that that gets with, with communication through texting there's no there's no tone there's no personality there's no nothing it's it's yeah and i'm sure there's like patterns of like certain emoji use or sure. like certain words that like yeah. that that, that um, trigger that among the that age group they know it means a certain thing but right. even with that i mean uh outside of that which can't be everything no there's always going to be stuff uh, through text that's misleading or, or misinterpreted right um and i think it happens a lot i've certainly been on both sides of it where someone yeah. misinterpreted what i was intending and then i'm like wow i didn't know come across that way yep. or vice versa right yep, so, exactly um i think it's important to like l- not limit necessarily but like just be careful about what you're texting yeah if it's a serious thing that's important it's always better to do it in person or on the phone or that kind of I, thing. I agree yeah um a couple other things on verbal that i want to uh points i want to make one is the the i statements not you statements i think that's really important yep. when you're talking to someone and you're having a difficult conversation you always want to put things in terms of like how it affects you not what they did wrong. If mm-hmm. it's like you did this or you always do that or that, then it's like they're just going to feel attacked. But if you say, you know, when when this happens, I feel this way, they'll be more likely to be able to be kind of empathic, uh, you know, towards you instead of, you know, taking it personally. So yeah, like the, the, the breakdown of the sentence starter that I use with that is like, I feel blank when you blank because, right? So sort of identifying I feel angry when you, I don't know, whatever you, whatever it is that you do. And then it's because it brings up things for me from my own past or from my own. I just don't like the way that that goes. I, I, I go I one step you, further. So I I'll, wish you would or yeah. Yeah. I'll say like, um, when I'm talked to like this, it makes me feel this way. Yeah. So I take the other person out of it completely. Yeah. I really just say like when I am talked to by anybody like yeah, this, good point. this is how I feel. Yeah. Because anytime it's like the word you is put in, people just latch onto that so much that mm-hmm. it's like, now I think the way you put it is certainly like doable because i think it's like you're saying hey this because especially when you're a couple it's like you're gonna say like this just happened obviously you're the one who did it right right so it's like sometimes you put it too broadly then it's like what are we doing here yeah um so i see what you mean when it's like putting it like that i think it's easy to understand yeah the goal is to help them understand like how that behavior is affecting me yes as i'm I'm saying absolutely absolutely um so I think another th- another point I wanted to make is like established relationships versus new connections. I think communication differs a little bit. Um, in general, when you're making new connections, whether it's like networking or like trying to make new friends and things like that, I think listening more and talking less is is really important. As you make connections with people, I think it's still important to listen more and, and focus on listening. But as you become friends with people, you also have to like eventually open up about yourself too. Otherwise, <laughs> like it's like, why is this person not letting me into their life at all, right? Yeah. So I think that changes when it comes to like making new connections versus relationships that are sort of a little bit established. And as they're growing, you know, the let's say it's like you know eighty twenty in the beginning in terms of like letting them talk versus you talking. That starts to shift a little bit as you get to know somebody a little bit more because you have to show that you trust them to let them into your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any other takeaways or, uh, you know, uh, pointers that you give to people in terms of communication? Yeah, honestly, I, um, back when I was working in schools, I actually ran a debate club for like fifth graders. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, one, because fifth grade is typically like developmentally for any parents with fifth, fourth, fifth grade or sixth graders, you might've, you might notice that the arguing may have increased. That's, that is a, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right. That is a typical developmental milestone of like that tends to happen. And so I sort of, I wanted to start it a, because a kid came to me and said, I wanted to do this. So I wanted to be able to do that, but also because it's like a, it was sort of appropriate. And in that piece debate talks a lot about like, they have very concrete skills of what you need to do, you know? And you know, the first foremost is like find common ground. So when you're arguing with somebody, there's always common ground with that conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that starting in a place of common ground helps people understand that we're both here to try to help 
that we both have something in common. Same foundation. Same here, foundation yeah. here. And I think that that helps the conversation sort of be grounded it's in a great that. Point, so if yeah. things start to stray, you can always come back to a singular point. The other one is, and I think it, it, this gets talked about in different ways, but the one that I sort of talked about was, you know, attack the idea, not the person. And I think that a lot of times if you disagree with someone, you tend to go like at them, right, for something that they did mm-hmm. rather than, you know, ways of saying like, you know, I'm curious about what you said here. Can you help me understand how you got here? Yeah. Right. I think trying to trying to go after understanding the idea rather than you're stupid and that's a dumb point mm-hmm. because then boom, conversation over. It, it it's going to spiral into nothingness. And I think that so that was something that I I, I found myself pulling a lot from like just basic debate skills mm-hmm. and debate coaching practices. And I, and I, it was interesting watching the progression of kids in that piece. Then you'd start hearing stuff in the halls, like, can you help me understand how you, and I was like, yes, all right, that's good. Someone's learning something. Um, oh, but I think those are kind that of like funny help. to be like a fly on the wall. Oh, it was, it was it, a blast. Yeah. I, yeah. I did get to be a fly on the wall and hear some like yeah. discourse conversations and people like using that language. And it was fun. And, and it was interesting too, because the feedback that I got was that kids were able to have like disagreeing things like is samsung better or apple better like those more like you know that or playstation or xbox and then you'd hear like arguments about it and it wouldn't just like dissolve into nothingness i feel like that should really that class should almost be like mandatory (laughs) it was great i mean it gave me it was it was a fun activity to be able to do and it all and but i find myself now when i'm having conversations with people who might be struggling with communication style find myself doing a lot of that coaching like just basic basic ways of disagreeing with people No, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like that touches on how subjects in school, you know, if, if I was going to change anything about like core curriculum, I would, I would make it more geared towards real life applications. Like communication should be a course that's taught. I, I agree. You know, whether that's through debate form, I think you could combine debate with other things, but that's definitely something that should be taught. Uh, our next episode is going to be on um, financial literacy, which I think oh, is something geez. that is not taught enough and mm-hmm. needs to be uh, in school. So it's, it's interesting because I feel like that, that would be a great thing to see fourth and fifth graders to uh, learn debate skills <laughs> so fun. yeah that's great so that um we're gonna wrap up this episode for today i think i just encourage everyone um we mentioned this last episode but we are you know trying to get to 100 youtube subscribers if possible so if anyone could go to youtube and, and just search the grim drive podcast you can also go to our website grimdrive.com and, and you know click to watch youtube videos through there that will kind of take you to the video if you want to go through there and just hit subscribe on our youtube channel if we get to 100 subscribers we're allowed to get a custom url so that we can put like you know grim drive link and just have that word instead of like you know 100 characters um that that makes no sense and it's hard to post on social media we appreciate any help with that um that is it today for our episode on Kyrie irving and communication we'll be back next week for our next episode on justin forsett and financial literacy thanks for joining us thanks everyone